0: KCLR Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre, Carlow, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See
1: fairgreen.ie. Yes, good morning and welcome along to this Tuesday morning's KCLR Live. It's Brian Redmond. I'll be with you right the way through until 12 o'clock this morning. Our phone number is 1800 All the guys, Siobhan, Molly, everybody else ready and waiting to take your call. And you can text or WhatsApp us directly in the studio here on 083 Three zero six nine six nine six. that's the dinnersready.ie text and up line here at the station and if you wanted to email us Live at kclr96fm.com in a couple of moments time we'll be speaking um, all things racing and bike racing because Ross Naman Ireland's top cycling race for women returns to Kilkenny actually starting on Wednesday, so we'll be getting a lowdown as to what's expected and a bit of an insight into um, why so many people are cycling mad in this country. 20 past 10, uh, Sarah Jane Foster is coming to talk to us about Culture Night. It's the biggest collective celebration of culture in Ireland and it returns um, on the 22nd of this month. Very, very interesting guest, Sarah. um, Not just doing all the social media stuff for um, Culture Night, but She's also got her own connection to culture because Sarah Jane, as a Mullingar native, she's also the granddaughter of Mick Foster. And if you're thinking, where do I know that name Mick Foster from? Well, Foster and Alan, that should be enough of an insight to give you a connection to Sarah Jane's cultural past. We've got Jerry Farrell from Castleview Financial Services joining us, as always, not to diminish Jerry's contribution. He'll be here a little bit later on. And following on from our discussions last week about the... uh, constituency boundary redraws, Councillor Fintan Phelan. We didn't get to speak to Fintan last week, but he's coming on because Car- Carlow County Council um, has announced its first affordable housing scheme in Kush Dara. We'll be finding out about that and also getting Fintan's thoughts on that boundary redraw. Brendan Ring. Well, Brendan Ring's really interesting to me because he's the CEO of a foundation called Cleonas Foundation and new research conducted by that foundation has revealed... Listen to this, that in more than 70% of families who received assistance from the foundation the main breadwinner had to give up work to look after their children. Brendan will be telling us about the work that Cleona's foundation does and his thoughts on what we need to change. We've got lots more in there as well but uh, we've got a bit of music as well coming your way a little bit later on. We were mulling over our musical choices this morning. We've got some blur and some culture club coming your way but first of all we turn to cycling and um, joining me on the phone now at the moment we've got uh, Yvonne Doran and Katrina Kaur. They're both uh, involved in Rosnaman. Um it'll be really really interesting to get their thoughts on it and uh, joining me first of all is uh, Katrina good morning Katrina great to have you on the show Rosnaman returning the biggest cycling race in the country for women
2: Absolutely and it's actually one of the biggest cycling races in the world and I don't think people in Kilkenny you know sometimes realise that it's a huge huge event so it's a six stage five day event and huge organisation from the Rostamon team Um, and it's this year it's in the three counties so we have it in Kilkenny on three days so three fantastic opportunities to see the event and then it's also in Leash and um, Waterford as well this year so it really is a massive undertaking um but it's it, I think it's it's an you know it's a brilliant opportunity for the riders, the Irish riders, but also international riders as well, to have that you know it's a six uh, six stage race, a really super
1: opportunity. And it's the seventeenth edition of this race. How's the race grown over those seventeen years?
2: Well, I think the Ross-Namon has been, you know, it's spearheaded by a team of volunteers. And then when it's held in Kilkenny, we in Kilkenny County Council would work closely with them around road closures and road safety. And it's the same, then again, with the other two councils that are involved this year. But it's a huge, huge effort, you know, attracting the teams, attracting the sponsorship and, you know, keeping the riders safe. And then as well, making sure that people actually know that the level um, of these riders as well, like they're all elite riders, and I know you have Yvonne on the other line as well, but there's um I think I think we've five or six Irish teams in it this year, which is fantastic. And then riders travel from all over the world. There's three teams from Netherlands, I suppose, which isn't surprising with their whole cycling culture. But but uh, riders travel from everywhere, uh, so there is this huge work goes into the event, and it's fantastic to be able to see it in Kilkenny, and particularly the final stage at the castle is just a thrilling event. It's really hot you know, riding with the riders are cornering at the left bank and finishing up on the parade. So it, it's a spectacular finish to the week's racing. And I'd encourage anyone to come down and to have a look on Sunday. That's Sunday the 10th. Um, and it, the time trial is actually on on Sunday morning as well, which is down around the Castle walls. So it's on the Canal Walk, up Road Street, back to the parade, you know, at high speed. So it's a spectacular, uh, spectacular uh, race.
1: We're all very familiar with, of course, the uh, Tour de France, which finishes on a Sunday um, on the Champs Elysees. I mean, Kilkenny Castle is a a pretty good, um, I won't call it a runner up to it, but it's a great location, similar sort of vibes, city centre finish. Um, It's really exciting, um, you know, when you're up close and, and, and personal with these riders, because the speeds that they achieve is just phenomenal.
2: It is, and the technical riding is phenomenal as well. The way they corner is just incredible, you know. And and you're just as a spectator, you're standing there watching, and you don't expect them to be able to, you you know, to be able to survive. And there is crashes, and we have seen riders hit the ground as well. But you know, it's like they bounce. Um, You know, they're incredible sports people. The thing about the criterium as well is that there's laps around the castle, so you can get to see them over and over and over again. And the finish line is at the parade as well well so it's a brilliant route that way you know you 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 will get to see the riders and like um, Maya Griffin, of course, was riding for Ireland, and she had a second place finish in the criterium. So that was hugely exciting. Uh, so hopefully, she might go one better this year because she is riding again this year. So it's 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 a great you know it's it's great for me on home turf to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember years ago when I was just a wheel lad the Tour de France actually came to Ireland for one or two stages, and we stood on the side of the road and all oh, excitement building, and then it was
3: like.
1: <laughs> And they were gone. Um, I mean, if you get to get into the city centre, the fact that you've got that looped finish, as you said, means you'll get to see them two or three times passing around. Um, Talking about the jeopardy and the danger, I mean, coincidentally, I watched the Netflix documentary about famous cyclist uh, from the Isle of Man, Mark Cavendish. Um, He's now the uh, joint record holder for the amount of stage wins in the Tour de France. And the documentary, these guys and girls, they get absolutely broken up. It's a really, really dangerous activity to be involved in but I mean obviously we're talking about elite athletes um, people out on the streets need to be mindful of of their own safety when they're cycling I mean I know you're a cycling officer for Kilkenny County Council and we don't want to tell him people how dangerous it is but you know cycling is something that's so important to us here and trying to encourage more people onto the bikes and um, Ross Naman has a big place to play in that
2: it is, everybody wants role models you know, we know the power of role models and if you have young people and they're you know, they're able to see this up close and up personal, that this is actually um, and I suppose this is more so with the sports cycling, you know, but this is a, something that people like we have a couple of Kilkenny riders this year, you know, and I know you have Yvonne as well that you'll be speaking to later, but people from Kilkenny who have reached these heights and, you know, so that's a, that's a fantastic way to go with cycling and even, you know, we see more and more bikes in Kilkenny. We have the Bolt, the e-bike share scheme. I I think you got a spin on those bikes. I did,
1: it was great.
2: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, there are more and more bikes. We need to see more and more bikes. We need to see more space so that we can keep cyclists safe on the road. Um, you know, we need better facilities, and that's in progress. There's there's great plans. There's now funding there for this. You know, this is recognised at national policy. Obviously it's about combating emissions, but it's much, much more than that. It's about health. It's about, you know, it's, it's about well-being. It's about for children. It's about independence for and not just for children I think for lots of people who can't drive for whatever reasons, it's about the independence that comes being able to get from A to B independently so we do need those safe facilities and we have a long way to go but the city centre itself the traffic is slow there's, you know, the city centre can be a safer environment for cycling for some people you can take up the primary position out on the road, you know, and claim your space on the road but there is a lot to be done before, you know, children can cycle. Independently, but we're working really hard on that, and we're really we're hoping to start some of the schemes around the schools in the next month or two. So, um, lots to happen, lots to be done, but there's um, lots of effort going into that at the moment, and and we finally have the funding behind it too.
1: Excellent. Um, just going back to race them on then to finish off, Katrina, as you said, it's the 17th edition. Cyclists from all over the world, USA, Oceania, um, Africa, Asia, all coming to Kilkenny, but they're not just going to be viewable in Kilkenny City because there's a few stages going around the different parts of, of the three counties, as you said. Give us an idea as to some of the other major towns that the cycle race will pass through.
2: Well, stage one is starting in Kikenny City, so a lot of the riders are based out of the Hoban Hotel, so there'll be a control start on Wednesday, so stage one is Wednesday, leaving the hoban at, at a quarter past four, and they'll come to the castle then for the official flag drop, so it'll be controlled onto the castle, so that's a nice opportunity as well. The flag will be dropped at the castle, and that finish then is in Callan, so that's on Wednesday. On Thursday, again they roll out from the Hoban at 11.55 and the finish will be in the Roar and then on um, Thursday, it's in Leash with the finish in Mount Wrath and the Leash is a hard stage, you know it's the sleeve Bloom, so that's your Queen of the Mountains. It's, it's a tough, tough day. On Saturday then, the finish is in Tremor at 14.40, so that, that should be a lovely, spectacular As 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 you mentioned the
1: beach, I was just thinking about you know to get a cycle race in Ireland in September with the weather looking as good as it's going to be. It's going to be great for the cyclists and also for spectators
2: absolutely because there's been some really horrible weather over the last couple of years but you know what the riders are so impressive like the photographs are just incredible particularly you know from the sleep Blooms or some of the climbs around Roar and, and, and you know it's just it's just you know they continue on it's just normal business where the girls the weather does not bother them at all um, yeah there has been some spectacular weather over the years so it's great to get this and hopefully then it will stay fine for those last two stage finishes on Sunday so the time trials start at 9 on Sunday morning, this is the 10th, and then um, the Criterium, so that's the laps around the castle uh, that's at 12.30, so that's Patrick Street, the castle um, It's that it really is a spectacular finish, and then we're going to have some music then, so Burn Church will be joining us on the parade, just to finish up and then a little after party, and there'll be food on the parade and food and coffee as well, so we'll have the essentials on the parade for Sunday, so it'll be, a, but I would just encourage anyone, anyone to get down. It's a, it's a pretty spectacular day in
1: Kilkenny. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's going to be a great day. Time trials in the morning, a bit of lunch somewhere in the city, the Criterium and then a bit of entertainment afterwards. Katrina core Cycling Officer from Kilkenny County Council, thanks for giving us all of the insights into uh, Ross the 17th edition um, kicking off on Wednesday. It's 17 minutes past 10 here on KCLR Live. Time for a little bit of music. Um, Blur, one of my favourite Britpop bands. There's a documentary, all Netflix this morning because I've already mentioned them once Uh, but there is a documentary series looking at the history of uh, music and one of the areas it touches on is Brit pop. and of course the battle of Britain took place between Blur and Oasis believe it or not it was actually Blur that was sort of crowned the winners in that battle although obviously Oasis went on to huge success afterwards and here they are, this is Blur but there is no other way 21 minutes past 10 o'clock. Anne has been on the text lines. Good morning, Anne. Uh, she wants to wish best regards to Yvonne. That's uh, Yvonne Doran we're talking about. She's a Thomasdale native taking part in Ross-Namon over the next couple of days. I'm sure she's up to her eyes with all the last minute prep and uh, maybe we'll catch up with her over the next couple of days to see how things are going. We'll be back in a moment when we'll be talking all things Culture Night to Sarah Jane Foster.
0: KCL or live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie.
1: KCLR. Yes, you're very welcome back to KCLR Live. 22 minutes past 10 o'clock. And Yvonne Doran, as we mentioned, um, competing in Rostamon. She'll be joining us a little bit later on the show. We'll be talking to Yvonne, getting her insight into how excitement is building ahead of the race, what's her prep like and uh, how she's expected to get on during that race. We'll also be touching on that story that you heard in the news this morning about the uh, 750, some Ukrainian refugees, Due to be housed on the Electric Picnic site. Now, we're told it's only going to be a temporary situation. Six weeks being put up in some of those family tents. um, People are saying that have been left behind. Now, just to be clear, they're not the tents that attendees at Electric Picnic have left behind. There's some of the more um, formal tents, the family tents that were set up in the family area um, on the Electric Picnic site. But nevertheless six weeks from, what is it now, the end of the first week of September. It's going to bring us up very close to the end of October. Is it really acceptable that we're back accommodating refugees in tents on various different sites around the country um no access to education for example for the children that will be accommodated there because you know the government has said it's only a short term measure we've got plans for the future they will have access to medical services on site obviously food and sanitation available as well um you know but it really is it still that sort of scenario that we can't accommodate these people coming in if you've got any thoughts on that uh, let me know 083-306-9696 should we be accommodating refugees and asylum seekers in tents here in Ireland in 2023 I might even chat to uh, Councillor Fintan Velen about it later on see what his thoughts are on that but do keep those messages coming in 083-306-9696 our dinner's ready text and WhatsApp line now the biggest collective celebration of culture here in Ireland returns on September the 22nd as Culture Night comes of age and celebrates yes it's 18th birthday and Sarah Jane Foster is a a very very busy woman in general at the moment Um, she's a Mullingar native but she's looking after all of the social media promotion around uh, Culture Night it's a huge part of what we do and Sarah Jane joins us on the line now good morning Sarah Jane
4: Mr. Brian Redmond, good morning, how are you?
1: Great, delighted to have you on the phone. Um, we, we'll, get, we'll talk about you in a moment. I mean, you're, you're, you're not one of those people who's constantly talking about themselves, but we, we, we'd love to get people to know you a little bit more. But, but tell me about Culture Night. It's 18th year. Culture, Ireland, it goes hand in hand, yes. doesn't it?
4: It really does. So, look, Culture Night is on Friday, the 22nd of September, nationwide, and it's brought to us by the Arts Council. Maureen Kennelly and her team are doing an incredible job this year, Brian, as well as the local authorities in Kilkenny and and Canelo. It's to celebrate culture and creativity within our communities, and as you said there, it's the 18th year of Culture Night. It's growing every single year, Brian.
1: It's a huge, huge event, event. and I mean, what's planned for the evening itself?
4: Yeah, so look, Culture Night is one night for all, whether you want a family night out, if you want to learn a new skill, if you want to meet like-minded people, Culture Night is absolutely for you. So just to give you an idea of the events that are happening on Culture Night, so in Kilkenny, in St. Joseph's Studio, you have the young Irish filmmakers from 7 to 9, they will be showcasing some of the best youth-made films, you'll get a tour of their studio, popcorn, very important Brian, and there will be the filmmakers there to answer any of your questions. I really, really like the sound of this one here, definitely. Um, then in Doyle's pub in the cosy back room from 7pm to 1am, you'll have Poetry by the Barrow where they're welcoming you to read your own poem or your favourite poem. And um, They're also welcoming musicians to play a tune or you can even just go just to observe the talent that will be there on the night.
1: And you're um, looking after all the TikTok stuff for it. You're doing all the social media. Um, TikTok and culture. Do you think you see a time in maybe 15 or 20 years' time where TikTok is accepted as part of the culture of what we do?
4: Do you know what, Ryan? I really, really think so. Because when I bring it back, say... So I actually went to film school myself. and when I, It's not even that long ago, but I went to film school in 2009. And I remember doing my leave insert, and you know that dreaded question, I know there's people that are just after getting the CEO results, (laughs) and the CAO even, and they're like, what am I going to do with my life? But I remember thinking, I just want to go to film school, and being honest, at the time, it wasn't really the in thing to do, or the cool thing to do, like all of my friends were going on to be teachers, solicitors, accountants, and then I was there coming home, and like, I'm going to film school. And everyone's kind of like, what are you actually even going to do? What are you actually even going to be? that, <laughs> so And it's, yeah, it's not even that long ago, but how quickly it changed
1: fast you know I mean but you, you at least had parents that were involved in the arts because when you go right back to your grandfather as I said at the top of the show uh, your grandfather was Mick Fo- or is Mick Foster Foster and Allen. and um, so I mean that's a that's a huge sort of you know when you've got parents who are maybe accountants or solicitors or <laughs> you know teachers or guards and you know they want you to get that big civil servant job I wouldn't fancy going home to a parents like that and saying I want to be a dancer or I want to be a filmmaker and um, how important is culture being through your family?
4: Yeah, it's funny one with my family um with my granddad being a musician. Um funny enough I'm not a musician, but what happened to me was I was living up in RT with Foster and Allen over the years. I went to all of their interviews, any TV shows they were making, and I just remember being obsessed with the cameras, the lights, the atmosphere of the film world. And that's what I honed in on. And I just became obsessed with it. And that's that's what I ended up going on to do. And it's funny now because I I get to work with my granddad now. You know, I get to film things with him. I get to film TV shows with him. I get to be a part of the TV show. I get to be on them. So it is really nice. It's a a lovely um, relationship to have to be able to be actually able to work with him. It's lovely.
1: And a question for you. Has Foster and Alan got its own TikTok page? (laughs)
4: <laughs> do you know what? They actually don't, but they have Facebook and they have Instagram. <laughs> so they, so they're honest. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to get them on TikTok because they're actually, they're so funny. Like they're great crack. I've I filmed a lot of stuff with them over the years, and they're they're just the best crack ever. I actually even went on tour with them before. I couldn't keep up with. Them. I'm not joking. I
1: could imagine there's some stories from that. I think Foster <laughs> and on TikTok will be abs- I think that'd go viral. I really, really do. <gasps>
4: I do I really do too Brian definitely but um no look I think Culture Night is um it's absolutely huge and just for bringing people together bringing like minded people together you know dance is huge this year as well mm. I feel like Dancing with the Stars might have something got to do with that <laughs> uh, <laughs> so oh. there's just there's so much going on I couldn't even tell you how much is going on Brian because there's that much going on across the country in town Um
1: but well, the most important thing up. is obviously there's events going on. I mean, we're talking about Carl, Uncle Kenny here. There is events going on right across the country. And Tell, yes. tell people if they wanted to find out more about Culture Night and what's on. What's the best website and um, sources to get connected to Culture Night?
4: So you can find out what events are taking place near you on culturenight.ie or their socials at Culture Night. So you type in your location and it gives you details of the age that it's appropriate for and where it's happening, where and when it's happening. And the best thing about all of this, Brian, is is that everything is absolutely free
1: to attend. Every single event they've got on, absolutely free. In the middle of a cost-of-living crisis, there's nothing like a little bit of free entertainment. (laughs) You're obviously going to be busy. I mean, you've got events to host, and you've been ticking away doing bits and pieces like that. I mean, you've even been working on tea yourself. So, I mean, have you got a whole lot of fun planned for TikTok around Culture Night?
4: oh my god I actually cannot wait so I'm going to be uh, hosting their social medias on the night I'm going to be hosting their Instagram so I'll be taking you through what's happening inside the Midlands um, what events are taking place I'll be giving you an insight into um, each of the events that are going on just to give you a little bit of a a glimmer of what's going on across the country that night so make sure you're following at Culture Night and I'll be hosting their page I'm really looking forward to it Um, I'm really looking forward to just creating content for them getting really nice photographs uh, really fun uh, videos for them it's, I'm really up forward to it. I have to say it's Yeah, really it sounds
1: fabulous Sarah Jane, you're doing great work I follow you all the time, you keep it up, keep things going and um, uh, look forward to seeing everything that Culture Night has to offer I'm sure it won't be that long, before. we'll find another excuse to talk to you at some point soon, Sarah Jane so, so don't go away from yeah. that phone too far
4: Please do, Brian. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Great to have
1: you. And I listened to this right purely by coincidence. And people think we plan these things. We have a piece of music lined up. Um, the song is called Ooh. "Do You Really Want to Hurt Me." Do you know who sang it? Go on, Culture Club. <laughs> Take care, Sarah Jane. We'll talk to you again soon. Culture Club. Twenty-five minutes to eleven o'clock. This. Uh, Tuesday morning, Jerry Farrell from Castleview Financial Service. He'll be with me in a couple of moments or two. Um, I've got some texts already in from listeners to put to Jerry. We'll get to them. But I also got a lovely WhatsApp in from Eamon Corcoran. He says, Hi, could you wish my wife, Mary, a very happy Ruby wedding anniversary and read the following message? Here we go. We're all going to get emotional now. Um, Before I met you, my life was black and white, but you gave it colour. I dropped a fear. I dropped a tear into the ocean but when they find it it will stop Loving you. When they find it, I will stop loving you. Uh, love from Aim. Isn't that absolutely lovely? Ruby wedding anniversary. In case you're racking your brains at home, is the 40th happy wedding anniversary to you both, um, Mary? You, but go and give him a big love and a big kiss. Isn't he a big old softie? But congratulations to you all, and um, from all our listeners and everybody here at KCLR.
0: KCLR live with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card, the perfect gift for all occasions. See Fairgreen dot
1: Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Yes, you're welcome back to KCLR. And once again, happy Ruby wedding anniversary to um, not just the guys, anybody anybody that's in love this morning. Go and find somebody to give a hug. I know it's um, nowhere near Valentine's Day, but there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of love in your life. Coming up after 11 o'clock, Councillor Finton Field, and he'll be joining us to tell us about affordable housing schemes coming to Carlo. Brendan Ring is the CEO of Clio's Foundation, and we'll be talking about their work and some new research. Good news story. Um, Andrew Tobin is the CEO of Stripe. He'll be joining us towards the end of the show to bring us that good news. And Helen Walsh. Helen is the Regional Literacy Coordinator with the KCETB. The content um, of the uh, chats that we'll be having will be focusing on adult literacy, the rates of adult literacy. And uh, the work that the ECBs around the country, ECTBs around the country do um to help improve that. All of that's still to come. But now it's time for this man, Jerry Farrell from Casview Financial Services. Good morning, Jerry. Hey,
3: Brian. Good morning. Good morning to the listeners.
1: Um, great to have you in, as always. I mean, we got a text in there a few moments ago. Maybe we'll kick things off with this, um, asking about CDBC coming into the Irish market. But the main thing, the point that the listener is making is, um, with the new services that so many of our banks offer being cashless, Are we getting? how close are we getting to the end of cash within society?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, we look around and we see most of the, I mean, I bought a coffee this morning with and tapped the card. We use the card so often now. So it's rare that we go around with cash in our pockets, many of us anymore. I think what that listener is talking about is uh, the central bank digital currency plan. So yeah. I think that's what what they're talking about. And so from that perspective... It does make sense that there's regulation in that space um, uh, and it will help obviously prevent or fight um, organised crime, which is really, really important. It will put some uh, rigour around the system and some structure. So that's important. Will it herald the end of, of, of cash? I think there's going to be a place for cash into the future uh, for a period of time, but it certainly will accelerate that. So I look at the next generation, Brian, and so my adult kids they rarely use cash. So they're they're tapping all the time, or they use Revolut, or they use their their uh, online banking. Um, so it's it's rare. So so I, I think it will exacerbate the 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 decline of cash into the future for sure.
1: Okay well if you've got other questions for Jerry um uh, we'll be talking about the uh, CCPC concerns over pension coverage in just a few moments time um, and while we're doing that you can get your questions in 083 306 9696 Jerry going on to that uh, those concerns about that CCPC pension coverage, talking about working long, and these new contributions that they're talking about coming in which will be, I don't know what they call call them mandatory contributions because I understand you will be able to opt out but you'll be set up, um, I said it to my young lad only 14 when we were sitting in the car yesterday Uh, you want to pay attention to this young man because uh,
3: (laughs) you're going to have to look after yourself yeah, so um, there's, there's a couple of things in that, uh, Brian. So with regard to auto enrolment, which is that opt-out scenario that's being planned from a pension perspective for for the for the for for Ireland, it's built on an Australian model which has been around for just over a quarter of a century now. It it, it takes a long time to build out. It looks like from the Department of Social Protection that all of the indicators are. The plan was. The rollout was meant to be January of next year. Uh, The sense really is it's going to be at the earliest, the second half of next year. And it will be a situation where you uh, will be mandatory. You will have to join your uh, employer occupational pension scheme and your employer will have to contribute. And you can opt out. out, But for most of us, typically when you're in, in a scheme like that, particularly when it starts at a modest level history shows us particularly on the Australian model that people tend to stay with it on the CCPC analysis that was published so that that's um, uh, 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 published yesterday in terms of, of, of pension coverage Brian I suppose what struck me really was that you know over three quarters of people in a particular age bracket between 45 and 54 have some form of pension that's good news right it's never too late to start a pension that's also good news the issue I think they were highlighting was that that 76 odd percent within that age bracket was a lot less than it had been when they last reviewed it but the truth is probably quite a few of those have moved out of that age bracket in any event Um, so perhaps people are, are, are not funding as much but there are other um uh, I guess distractions for people and one of the biggest things that came out of yesterday's analysis was the fact that uh, one of the main reasons why people haven't funded for retirement is because they just haven't gotten around to it now apart maybe they from just the can't other, afford it Jerry apart from the other big reason Brian which is the affordability piece so for those who just haven't gotten around to it that's an easy solution Get get involved. Um, uh, check online. Make sure it's a reputable uh, advisor you're dealing. With. Check check the central bank register um, uh, for somebody locally in your area, uh, uh, and reach out. That that's the first thing. Uh, but but it is true. There's a lot of people who are caught in that bracket who feel they cannot afford it.
1: And going back to the auto enrolment point, um, you talked about it's not quite decided when this exactly may start from. But is that going to apply to everybody who's currently in employment, or people who are starting a new job? Who's who's going to be auto enrolled?
3: Yeah, so that's really so. So this is our our pension simplification journey, which is. Uh, challenging (laughs) yes indeed because it doesn't feel like it's simplifying anything but we've been on this road since about 2015 2016 uh, and so and, and the truth is it takes a long time to get this thing right so in terms of who might be um uh, who this might apply to it's employees who are not part of an occupational pension scheme who are earning between uh, I believe between uh, anything north of 20,000 a year they will be automatically enrolled uh, I believe that the the starting point will be about 1 or 1.5% one of the employee's sa- salary to be matched by the employer so that's the starting point and the government have, have um have made big play on, on the fact that they're also contributing. The nature of their contribution is the tax relief that already exists. So yeah. they're not necessarily putting fresh money in, but the, that's the only reason any one of us make pension contributions with respect is because, well, not the only, it's one of the main reasons, because we get significant tax breaks on the way in. Our pension investment fund grows when it grows tax free throughout our lifetime and when we get to retirement age whatever that age is uh, we get we can access benefits uh, very very tax effectively so there are three Uh, Really, really important reasons why, and they're all related to tax, Brian, Mm. uh, why we choose to invest in pensions.
1: Talk to me about the auto-enrolment in relation to employers, because as you said, there's going to be a mandatory employer's contribution within that at the moment. Obviously, some people work for companies that are quite happy and able, um, through private schemes, to be able to add some contributions, but every employer who has an employee who chooses to opt in and will now have to contribute is that going to place challenges on particularly small to medium enterprises
3: it's going to place it, it surely is it's going to uh, place price challenges on, on small and medium enterprises for sure and i think what we might see over time is when employers are recruiting staff or when they're um doing annual appraisals and reviews they should be and more probably will be talking about the overall benefits package that they've created for the employee uh, which will include the pension piece and what i mean by that is we might see evidence going forward we've seen it in other jurisdictions that the overall package includes a pension contribution Mm. but that may actually reflect what was the overall salary package prior to that so and it depends And, and it's a
1: competitive marketplace at the moment in terms of trying to attract and retain staff with uh, employment rates being so high at the moment it, it's a, it might be a challenge for businesses but some of them are just going to have to um, try and find a way to make that work.
3: Yeah, for sure. And one of the best indicators, we often talk about GNP and GDP, but one of the best indicators of how healthy a nation is, how healthy a country is, is its employment and, and unemployment numbers. Our employment numbers are very, very strong. It's a very aggressive market at the moment. It is an employee's market, I think, at the moment. So that's good news for employees and people are on the move or on uh, and on the lookout. And so what I'm seeing with... Small and medium enterprises, O'Brien, so in the last 12, 18 months in particular is their desire to protect good employees. And that means really building out um, exceptional benefits packages, which includes group risk, uh, which means what if I get sick or if I die while I'm at work or group pension. So, So some employers are ahead of the curve, let's say.
1: Yeah, um, uh, a lot to come still in pensions and it definitely needs to be done. Just to go over to some of those questions that we've got in um, from listeners, the part of the show where I keep Jerry on his toes. Um, I lived and worked in the USA for a period of years. I've built up some pension benefits. Can I transfer them to Ireland? I'm now living and working here.
3: See, I love questions like this because there's no grey area here because the answer is really quite straightforward. So we have... What's called Cure Ops legislation, without getting too technical, but that simply means, right across the EU, you, we have facilities to transfer pension benefits and retain those pension benefits in the host country where you're living. Yeah, but if you're outside of the EU. And in this instance, this individual built up pension benefits in the US. That's not transferable to a, okay. a similar type of pension here. Is this sort of
1: similar to the situation we talked about a couple of months back where the UK are now trying to encourage people who may have worked there to get back in contact and, and get their own pension situation sorted out in the UK?
3: Uh, no, that, that is a bizarre one from a UK perspective. So that's the UK. So, so for instance... We both know, Brian, that you and I both lived and worked in the UK for a period of years, way back in, in the day. And so, if you Your paid, day was further
1: back than mine, but go on anyway.
3: Absolutely. Uh, just about a couple of years. But um, so, uh, and if we lived and worked there and we paid a stamp in the UK, uh, or uh, the equivalent of PRSI contributions, national insurance contributions in the UK, we may well be entitled to a UK uh, state pension. That's different to what we're talking about here. This individual, it sounds like he's built up retained benefits private pension in the United States he can't take that back okay. here so the thing about what he would need to consider doing is cashing in the benefits bringing it back in cash and will i be done for tax
1: amid- and bringing that back in and cashing that way uh, or
3: yeah so he he may have to pay tax in the US but he would need to seek okay. US based advice. advice
1: yeah and finally lastly and I wouldn't say too easily I'm going to ask you to look into that crystal ball for me once more does Jerry think The ECB will put up interest rates again tomorrow, or have they finished?
3: I absolutely think they will put up interest rates on Thursday, actually. Not tomorrow, but uh, we won't get too technical about that. But yes, I think uh, all of the indicators are we have another quarter percent rise coming this week.
1: More after that. I don't believe so You don't believe so Okay so uh, It's looking like We're getting to the point Where we would have Gotten through it uh, But you do expect uh, Another further interest rate rise Uh, 25 bips Yeah A
3: quarter of 1% (laughs) A quarter of 1% Yeah
1: yeah Jerry Jerry explains to me That uh, every percentage Points Has uh, 100 bips And uh, Quarter of a percentage point. Is there for twenty-five? Correct. There correct, you go. Correct. Well, listen, we're all learning something by having Jerry in studio. Jerry Farrell from Castview Financial Services. As always, a pleasure and learning something. Jerry will be back with us next week. Take care, Jerry. Thank
0: you, bye. KCLOR live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre, Carlo. with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state-of-the-art IMC Cinema. See Fairgreen.ie.
1: Kilkenny, KCLR Yes, you're very welcome back to KCLR Live It's Brian Redman here with you right the way through Until 12 o'clock this morning Now we kicked off the show this morning By talking about Ross-Namon One of the biggest cycle races for women um, Not just locally, but anywhere in the world And we we'd great good wishes in from uh, listeners um, To a local who's taking part That local is Yvonne Doran She's from Thomastown and she joins us on the show now Good morning, Yvonne
5: Good morning, Brian.
1: You're looking you? forward to the race. How's the prep going?
5: Oh, good, good. Uh, last spin done now, and uh, yeah, ready to go.
1: What's a spin yeah. for Yvonne Doran?
5: <laughs> so it, it can vary on on different days, but this morning it was just it was just one hour pre race spin, just nice, easy spin, a few springs. Um, but yeah, there are days it's longer during the winter we do longer spins Saturday or Sunday we might do three to four hours on the bike um, and then typically maybe an hour to two hours, a few days a week um, but uh, yeah, it's it's all possible um, you know, I, I started small myself, I, I started cycling um, through a charity cycle um, through work, we're cycling in aid of Special Olympics and um we were going to have a big party at the end of it so somebody said come on it'll be great crack so I did five spin classes rented a road bike and did it loved it and a week or two later the Tour de Kilkenny came up and uh sorry the following year I bought a bike to do the same charity event again and uh cycle the Tour de Kilkenny the following year um, great, great event run by Marble City Cyclers, and um, got into it that way, and one thing led to another, and gradually started racing. So, you know, it, there are some people who who transfer from other sports and progress very quickly, and there are people who who return to sport later in life as I did. And you know, there's there's lots of opportunity to uh, to progress. And so, I'd say to anybody out there who's who's thinking perhaps about taking up a sport, first time taking up a sport, or even if, you know, they're, they're thinking about transferring from, from another sport, um, you know, it's it's something within everyone's remit. It's something anybody can achieve. And since Ross Dermont has come to Kilkenny, several women have done it. We have uh, Mia Griffin this year uh, cycling with Team Ireland. Mm. Um, uh, we have Jane Cullen, who's who's done the Ross as well. Um, Lisbeth Kent, uh, Amy Kinsler um you know, so it, it really it really adheres to the, the slogan, you know, if she can see it, she can she can be it. Um and uh, yeah, it's 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 great to have it. It's great to have it back in Kilkenny again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen and talked so much about the fabulous achievements of women in sport and many many sports across Ireland. You know, the athletics team doing so well, the women's soccer team recently as well, mm. and, and and cycling is a sport that has a great tradition here in Ireland. But it's only been in those last couple of years with the likes of me that we've seen some of those women come to the forefront of women's cycling. It's great to see, isn't it?
5: It is. It is. Um, it really is fantastic, um, and you know, it's it's having uh, that sport within the community as well that that really promotes and gives people that springboard to get cycling, to to get to that level of of competition, and you know, to go on to to progress to to race on professional teams and to race on on European and and world stages. As Mia has um, has been really something.
1: And you have a very busy life, Yvonne, because not are you... Well, I'm going to call you a professional cyclist. Uh, not only are you uh, a semi-professional cyclist, we go it that way. You're also a mother. It must be extremely difficult to balance training time because, you know, you need to put in a lot of miles to to be a, a good cyclist. And balancing that with home life must be a challenge, Yvonne.
5: Yeah, no, I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm not a mother. <laughs> but lots of women doing Ross are mums. Um, and certainly they manage it very well. Um, you know, they manage their home life, their children, the school runs, uh, the training, and it's it's all about achieving that balance. But as I say, one thing, anyone, you know, we're all different backgrounds. you um, say some of us are mums, some of us some of us are carers, um, you know, some of us some some of us have lots of time to cycle. Some of us are students, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's varying, but as I say, it's something that's that's open and, and achievable for yeah. anybody.
1: Yeah. Well, the weather looks like it's going to be great for the, the coming days. Um, how are you hoping to get on?
5: Uh, hopefully, hopefully well. Um, it's been it's been a bit of a disruptive season, but um, gosh, it's it's such an exciting race. So I'm just really looking forward to it now. I'm waiting to go.
1: Well, Thomastown native and uh, avid cyclist Yvonne Doran, take a part in Ross-Namon, go out and support her. Uh, good luck, enjoy the next couple of days, stay safe and, and have an absolutely fabulous time um, during the race, Yvonne.
5: Thank you very much, Brian.
1: You're very welcome. Great to have you on the show. Yvonne Doran, taking part in Ross-Namon, coming to a county near you. Over the next couple of days. Something else that's also on the way is the news at 11 o'clock.
0: KCLOR Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Weekday mornings from 10 till 12. This is KCLR
1: Live. Coming up between now and 12 on KCLR Live with Brian Redmond, we've got Councillor Fintan feeling on affordable housing schemes coming to Carlo. Brendan Ring, CEO of Cleaners Foundation, will be joining us around about 25 to 11. Helen Walsh, Regional Literacy Coordinator with the KCETB. And a good news story for Strife. We'll be joined by their CEO, Andrew Tobin, just before 12. But now... At eleven o'clock it's time to go over to Ashling Bolton Dowling in the newsroom. Thanks, Ashling. I just wanted to do this. Right, it's a it's a one person round of applause, there's only one person <laughs> in the studio. Um you never told me that last week that you uh, got a first-class honors degree, a one-one as they call it, in journalism and sociological and political studies. Congratulations!
6: Thank you. Yeah, it was a few weeks ago. I was a bit late putting the post out, but well, yeah. But you say, well, you, know, you kept that quiet
1: around <laughs> the office. I mean, any excuse for a bit of cake around here has to be taken. I
6: know, I know, but yeah, um, yeah, I kept it kind of quiet. But look, it's one of those things.
1: <laughs> was it a lot of work? Obviously, it, it was. It was.
6: Yeah, it was four years of a lot of work, but I mean, um, it was worth it in the end. And I was working at the same time, so it was just trying to balance the two things, as many people are. When and they're doing college degrees um, just trying to multitask but look it's good life experience isn't it
1: and you know what I love about uh, stuff like this is it, it's the last time that uh, you, you'll probably have a photograph related to your education. You think about the photographs that people post like you did when you get your degree and you're standing there with the mortarboard on and the black gown and, and holding up the cert. Uh, I said it was a proud household and probably comparing photographs of her first day in school. She got yeah. a little backpack on. Um, it's great to see that whole journey all the way through.
6: Yeah, no, it is. And yeah, definitely looking back on the photos when I was a lot younger, it's nice to see that kind of growth and yeah, <laughs> where I am now as
1: well. You're a lot taller than you were then oh, I bet I
6: was tall back then I was always very tall <laughs>
1: <laughs> well listen education's a great thing we'll be talking about adult literacy a little bit later on the show but once more Ashley Bottled dowling congratulations <laughs> first class honours degree And um, we'll talk to Ashton again at 12 o'clock it's 6 minutes past 11
0: KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops food outlets and a state of the art IMC cinema see fairgreen.ie
1: Yes, you're welcome back to KCL live text and WhatsApps. 083 306 9696. Now, last week, we spoke a lot about the boundary redraws. Uh, one of the gentlemen that we didn't get to speak to at the time was Councillor Field, and, and we'll talk to him a little bit about that later on. But he's joining us on the show this morning to tell us about Carlow County Council's first affordable housing scheme in Kush, Dara. Councillor and, Feele, and you're very welcome along to the show this morning.
7: Good morning, Brian. Well,
1: listen, great to have you on. Sorry we couldn't catch up with you last week, but we'll come back to that point in a moment. But first of all, tell me about this first affordable housing scheme.
7: Yes, so this is very welcome news for uh, people who are looking to uh, purchase their own property in Carlow. It's a scheme that I've been advocating for for a long period of time, and I'm delighted to see uh, the government brought in this initiative and then Carlo County Council embracing it fully. So this scheme is going to be, firstly, it's starting with uh, 20 houses in Kushtara in Carlo. and the idea of it is that it's providing homes at a reduced price uh, primarily for first time buyers but there are a number of exceptions whose mortgage and deposit will not cover the price of the home and who are seeking to purchase one of the homes in Koshdara. and the council then where their mortgage and the deposit fall short of the market value of the home, the council will step in and take an equity share um, it's very welcome news uh, to those, and there's a huge number of people, and I would have spoke about this over the last number of years, who are earning too much to go on to the social housing list and to avail of uh, social housing supports, but are not earning enough to avail of a mortgage that would give them the required purchasing price of a house in Carlo. And this affordable housing scheme is to try and uh, catch those people in the middle and to make it affordable for them to buy their own home.
1: And, Fintan, how many houses will be in this first scheme?
7: So, this is starting off with 20 houses, um, and I would encourage anybody that's interested in applying for it, uh, the Council is launching this an awareness campaign now at the moment, and is to tell people to now go and speak uh, to their, their banks here in Carlo to get mortgage ready, to get mortgage in principle approved. And the Council have been in discussions and have signed agreements with uh, AIB, Bank of Ireland and Permanent ESB in relation to this. So they're all teed up and aware uh, that this scheme is available and they will work with applicants in relation to it. So I would encourage people, uh, if they're interested or think they may be eligible, or would like to know more about it, they can indeed contact the County Council, contact myself, but the advice would be then uh, to go to their uh, lending institution to speak with them uh, to see uh, what kind of uh, mortgage they could be able to avail of. And then in a, about a month's time, the Council will launch an online portal where people can make their application. And it will be on a first-come, 1st serve basis there uh, once they're in accordance with the scheme of letting priorities.
1: Well, you sort of pre-empted my next question because, as you said, the banks are totally aware of this scheme um, and it won't present any complexities for people wishing to apply for mortgages. But uh, 20 houses are on a first-come, first-served basis, Vinton, uh, would you expect people to be queuing for days and weeks in advance of this to try and make sure that they get onto that list?
7: Yeah, it'll be launched uh, online. There'll be an online portal where they'll have to upload their documents. And I think there's going to be a huge demand in it. Um, And what I would say is to try, and there's a guidance in terms of what you need to have done in advance of that date. So I would encourage people to start thinking about it now, uh, start speaking with their lending institution to see would they be approved for a mortgage, uh, to get that uh, approval in principle for their mortgage, and then that will give them uh, all of the the tools they need to apply for this online uh, application. And if this is successful, and I think it will be, Brian, I think there is a demand here for it. You know, housing is is a huge issue. People simply can't uh, afford the large rents that are there at the moment, but they are uh, earning enough that would give them a mortgage, but not enough to buy a new property. This is going to step in now and provide that affordability gap, and the council will take an equity then in in the property, and the homeowners then can pay that down over a period of time.
1: So this is a situation where eventually in time, um, owners will be able to buy out that council share and fully own their own home. Um, It does sound like it's going to plug that little bit of a gap that you said exists within the current um, housing offering in the market. But um, I think a lot more than 20 people in the whole county of Carlow will be interested in this scheme. How long before you could see um, further schemes like this being offered, Fintan?
7: Well, the council will be uh, are very open if this is successful uh, to negotiating and trying to uh, encourage uh, more schemes like this. So, what happens, Brian, is that the local authority uh, have an agreement with the developer in Kushdara, uh, and the uh, the way it works is that once people apply online uh, through the county council, and the council then will recommend them uh, for an affordable house, and then they'll they'll discuss with the developer uh, the exact properties and in terms of the exact spec of of the house and that can be done then so there is potential here brian that if these 20 houses are successful that there could be further houses down the line and this private uh, public partnership as such i think could be very successful and it can provide homes now you know it's hope brian that uh, people that are approved for these homes that they'll be in them for christmas uh, and I think that would be uh, very welcome for many people who are struggling to afford a house at the moment.
1: And Fenton, the development and the developers at cushdar uh, that's obviously a private development?
7: Yes, it's a private development. Um, there are a number of voluntary houses uh, in it at the moment through voluntary housing bodies, but they're built by a local, very reputable uh, developer uh, and building contractor here in the town. And I think, uh, you know, anyone that is familiar with the houses on the Kushdara, they'll know that they are built uh, with exceptional uh, care, and they're air rated as well, which is the most energy efficient houses one can have.
1: And twenty houses—is that the entirety of the scheme, or is it simply a percentage of the total scheme?
7: No. So there's already a number of of houses in Kushtara that are uh, voluntary houses, I say, and uh, for private uh, purchase. This is a uh, twenty affordable houses now are being added to that. But there are are more houses being built here, Brian. So, yes, there is the possibility uh, in the near future that potentially more houses could become part of this scheme if these 20 are successful.
1: And do you think the Council would be open to the idea for future planning applications where if this scheme is successful, um, they may suggest or require um, private developers looking to develop schemes to give over a percentage of future developments to similar such schemes?
7: Absolutely, and certainly I'll be advocating uh, for more affordable houses if this scheme is successful and I have every confidence it will be. And I'll certainly, as I was with this scheme, be to the fore in, in our local authority and advocating for more affordable houses in Carlo uh, for people uh, to purchase. Because, uh, you know, there is, and, uh, and I say it again, there is that affordability gap for people. They're earning too much for the social housing list, um, but yet uh, they're not earning enough to get a mortgage that would allow them to purchase their own home and I am very confident uh, that this scheme uh, plugs that gap.
1: Well I'm sure you won't need to call for further submissions from the public but for those who are listening to us this morning Finton who uh, maybe are looking for a mortgage themselves or maybe they've got friends or family members who are in a similar sort of situation just remind them once again where they can find all the information that they may need in relation to this.
7: Absolutely. So they can find uh, the information on the uh, new Car Local Authority affordable purchase scheme by either contacting uh, Carroll County Council, indeed contacting myself uh, through my social media channels or email or phone, or indeed uh, they can uh, call in uh, to their lending institution and speak with them. As I say, the banks are aware of this uh, and they have... Uh, agreed to be a part of this scheme as well, and they understand that the council will be taking an equity in the house. And just to mention as well, Brian, the help to buy scheme is eligible for this scheme as well. So if people are struggling uh, to save for their deposit, they can avail of the help to buy scheme, which can give up to €30,000 uh, towards uh, the parts of the property, which can be used as an element of it further deposit
1: as well. That's excellent. So they can actually avail of the help to buy scheme to help with the deposit and also this new scheme with the overall cost of the mortgage. It does sound like uh, quite a lot being done for sure. But uh, if I could just step you back in time now till last week, as I said, we didn't get the opportunity to talk about it last week, although everybody else we managed to, to speak about on the situation. I'm really interested to get your thoughts um, as a Karlovian on the uh, redrawing of the boundary constituencies I, were you disappointed to see that Carlo didn't become a constituency in its own right?
7: Uh, yeah, of course. I think it would have been a great boost for Carlo if we became our own 3C constituency. Obviously, for that to happen, we would have had to take in a, a chunk of either Wexford or Wicklow. Um, but I do uh, think the one welcome thing in terms of a Carlo perspective is that the county remains intact. And people would have been familiar uh, for a long number of years, uh, the East Carlow uh, part of the county, so Hackettstown, Rackfilly, uh, voted in Wicklow. And it led to a, a feeling of this, uh, this for many people in that area. Um, but I think the welcome news, I suppose, is that the county of Carlow, uh, the county boundaries haven't been breached and Carlow is left intact. Uh, that's welcome. Obviously, it's disappointing that we didn't become our own 3 constituency. But if you look at uh, Carlow Town, we're now, uh, by population, the biggest urban centre in this Carlow Kilkenny uh, constituency. Carlow continues to grow, uh, which is to be hugely welcome. So hopefully down the line, that will be a possibility.
1: And we heard so many of our TDs, current sitting TDs, um, on the show last week describing themselves very clearly as Carlo Kilkenny representatives. Um, However, would you like to see in the next general election a greater percentage of those people who do represent both counties actually being from Carlo?
7: 100%. And I think if you look at, uh, and I just mentioned it, uh, Carlo Town uh, is the largest by population urban centre in this constituency of Carlo Kilkenny. There's no reason why uh, we can't have uh, two TDs from Carlo. And I would encourage uh, people uh, to be considerate of that when they go to the polls next time out.
1: Finton, just before I let you go, actually thoughts just crossed my mind. We were talking about housing in Carlo. I know it's not your area, but if I just ask you to step across the border into County and um, for the moment, uh, how did you receive the news this morning that 750 Ukrainian refugees are going to be housed on that electric picnic site in tents?
7: You know, obviously there's a, a huge challenge uh, the country has in relation to trying to accommodate um, those people who have come to our shores in the most difficult of circumstances. Uh, the government uh, and indeed the European Union have made uh, international commitments. Uh, really, you know, if you, if you look at the very core, why is this happening? It's happening because uh, Vladimir Putin brutally has invaded uh, Ukraine. And I think, you know, whatever we can do to try and be hospitable and try and provide shelter to those that are fleeing, we should do it. Naturally, um, the, you know, there's a pressure uh, there's a challenge in relation to accommodation. Uh, for uh, people nationally Uh, and certainly um, some of the accommodation in Strad Valley uh, can be used as a temporary uh, facility, as a temporary uh, stopgap for Ukrainians Uh, and if they are uh, I think it's it's right that it's being used Uh, but I stress the point uh, temporary and I think uh, it's providing a temporary solution uh, and I think hopefully uh, the government departments are planning now on a longer term solution
1: And just finally, obviously, college is returning quite soon now. The college accommodation was a large part of the fix uh, for that refugee crisis um, over the summer months. Uh, Government instructed that all uh, student accommodation had to be returned to student use in time for the students returning to college. Um, Presumably that's been done in its entirety in Carlow now, has
7: it? Yeah, like obviously we have uh, now SETU, the Saudi Technological University in Carlow College. We have two fantastic third-level institutions in Carlow. There's a huge demand on accommodation and as students return now uh, this September for college, they need somewhere to live. For towns like Carlow, uh, both colleges are a massive boost to the local economy. Students are a part of that. So it's important they're uh, looked after and I think that's why it is important that student accommodation is available uh, for local students.
1: Councillor Feeling, thanks for your time this morning joining us here on KCLR Live. It's 20 past 11. We're going to take a very short break, after which I'll be catching up with Bren Ring, the CEO of Cleaners Foundation.
0: KCLR Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre, Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie.
1: Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. You're welcome back to the KCLR Live with Brian Redmond this morning. 22 minutes past 11 o'clock. Now, new research conducted by Cleanest Foundation... Um, has revealed that in more than 70% of families who received assistance from the foundation, the main breadwinner have had to to give up work to look after their child. That research also showed that in 71% of families, the partner of the main earner in the family had to reduce their working hours. Joining us to tell us more about their findings and the work of Cleanest Foundation is the company, the foundation's CEO, Brendan Ring. Good morning and thanks for joining us this morning, Brendan.
6: Good morning Brian, uh, delighted to be talking to you
1: Well first of all, before we um, delve into the details of the study, give listeners a bit of an idea as to the work that is foundation um, creates and does and why the foundation was originally established
7: um,
6: Well uh, uh, unfortunately it was out of a personal tragedy for our family uh, my wife Terry and I and our son Callum we lost our daughter Kleene, um to an inoperable brain tumour um when she was 15 years of age, just before her 16th birthday, actually, and um, the story behind the charity is that Kleena was diagnosed with an of a brain tumor when she was seven. So we called it a journey. We went journey with Kleena for almost eight years of our life, um, in and out of hospitals, uh, mainly in Dublin, but also here in Limerick and in Cork, uh, for different surgeries, for long protocols of chemotherapy and. Everything else that goes with that, appointments and treatments and so forth. So, after Kina died, and I suppose even during her illness, the one thing that struck Terry and I was that when we were in and out of hospitals all the time and had spent long periods of time with Kina, we noticed that the parents weren't always there, we felt in our eyes. And it wasn't something that we could concentrate at the time because our focus was completely on Kina. But when she passed away, um, that question arose as to why these families weren't there as much they should be and, and it all comes down to not affording to be able to be with our children in hospital. So after Keena died we just just it on ourselves to say look let's, let's try and look at this problem and see if we can fix it and we've been doing this uh, now 16 years later and trying to make a, a real impact on families whose children are diagnosed with life limiting illnesses and basically, the foundation writes a cheque uh, to a families of two and a half thousand euros to support them for the non-medical expenses. And when I when I say non-medical, I mean the likes of putting petrol in your car, paying your parking fine or paying your parking tolls when you get to Dublin or or any other car park. Um, it's been able to take time off work. Uh, it's been able to stay with your children in hospital and get paid. It's been able to pay for accommodation and all of these out of pocket expenses that people don't actually realise mount up um, unless you've been through the, the the whole RD like we have been.
1: Tragically Brendan in many cases when a child is diagnosed with a life limiting illness, um it can be a very short period of time before that, that child may pass away. Um, but in the vast majority of cases, that new status quo, that new family life can last, as it did in your situation, for many, many years. It, it, those challenges um, are huge for families to face over a period of years and years.
6: Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I'd never underestimate or mind the, even people that go through maybe where children pass away very very quickly after arriving in this world or may, maybe uh, an illness that takes them out of this world very quickly. They all need support. But uh, again, for families like us that, that, that went through this ordeal for eight years, not alone had we to deal with this devastating news of, of, of a child having a brain tumor and having cancer, but then to face the financial trauma that, that comes with that. And we just felt that pain, and we know what that pain is like. And as I said, almost 1,300 families have been helped by the charity that, that find themselves in that position uh, like we did uh, all those years ago. And, you know, we meet tonight uh, with a voluntary board and we've got 29 applications um, countrywide that we need to write checks for 2,500 euros each for these families. And um, it, it, it's very challenging. And I was just actually looking at the Carlo Kilkenny constituency and... Um, map this morning and like we've helped 37 families in Carlow and 36 families in kilkenny and they, they basically would have also got a check from us over the years to support those families in that area alone there, there are some of your listeners this morning uh, certainly uh, they're not known because they want to stay anonymous most of them but they're in every parish in in county carlo and county kilkenny so we're, we're a national charity and we're doing our very best to try and help all these families because they find themselves in, 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 in just dire dire situation because financially they won't be able to afford it. And you mentioned that at the opening of your comments there, Brian, is that 70% of, of, of parents, one of them, would have to give up their job just like my wife Terry did uh, the Monday morning that Keen was diagnosed and never got back to work uh, for eight years. So w- what happens with those families, they now don't have that second income coming in and the bills still arrive in and also there's additional costs of... The expenses that that are incurred in looking after the sick child.
1: I mean, the foundation is doing fantastic work, distributing over 300, uh, 308000 euros in funding to one hundred and thirty five struggling families uh, at the year end, June twenty twenty three. Um, you know, the work that that you guys do is phenomenal. But would you like to see some sort of um, national governmental structure? To offer support to families in this maybe there is, I don't know is there any support out there for families who find when, themselves in these tragic circumstances
6: You, you know you, you, you always have to welcome any type of support that, that, that there are for families uh, 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 but the, the problem about it is, is that like when, when means testing comes into all of this, it, it just throws a huge spanner in the work because today you could have two very good jobs and two very good household incomes and there isn't an issue tomorrow like Kina was perfect in our eyes on a Friday and by Monday morning we had this devastating news so Terry's job was done on Monday like you know we wouldn't go to avail of any such scheme so yeah, there, there is some help like domiciliary allowance but again it's hard to get that with a lot of red tape in our case families need immediate funding uh, they need it straight away They don't want to be asked how much they have or don't have. They just need it to get them through this awful ordeal. So that's the reason the charity was set up, because that type of support doesn't exist. And, again, rightly so, we've already distributed over 300,000 in the first six months of this year. So that's looking like 600,000 alone in 2023, and it's a challenge. So we're calling on government, and we've made a pre-budget submission to... Uh, the three departments that we feel one of them needs to pick up the, the mantle on this, both the Department of Health, the Department of Children and the Department of Social Protection and we've asked them collectively uh, with their officials to sit in the room and, and, and put a new fund in place for these families uh, that, that we're trying to support. In fact, we've told them that we co-fund the funding with them so that they can still see that we're prepared to work hard to try and help all these families and increase the amount that we can give them.
1: And Brendan, so far, how's those requests been received? Are you positive that you'll get a, a positive outcome um, on the back of those requests?
6: Brian, right. everybody is human, um, and when we meet these people as individuals, every one of them are very supportive. There isn't an issue. But the problem lies in in getting the collective together to put the work into creating a new fund like this and deciding where it's best place for it to be administered through. So that's where we're coming up against roadblocks. blocks. There's, there's a great willingness to do it, but if somebody's going to do this, it's more work for a department or a group of officials. So that's where it, the problem lies. What we'll be saying in Cain is, is that we're prepared to administer the fund for the government to take away at least that part of the burden for them, but they will have to go to the minister. And I've met Minister McGrath and request in the pre-budget submission that they start co-funding Cleaners Foundation. And so the individuals are, are, are very much up for it, but when it gets into the department's hands, it becomes a bit red tape-like, and it, it can be very hard to get it over the line. We've been actually highlighting this problem since 2018. And, and indeed, there are other charities like the Cancer Society of Ireland who specialize in just looking after children with cancer who, who fight for this. Cause uh, as do the CHI, but we're a charity that looks after all families with all types of illness. Well, none. It, 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 there isn't any one illness that we say no, it doesn't meet the criteria. As long as it's life-limiting, we look after it. Our daughter Kina died from brain cancer. We ju- we just don't deal with just ca- children with cancer. We deal with all children with life-limiting illnesses. So it, it's unique, and that's why it's got the need the focus and attention of a group of people to get together and put a new fund in place for, for us to continue our work.
1: And Brendan, you've spoken and mentioned already that uh, the Cleaners Foundation is designed to be red tape free. Um, yes. listen, I, I, I hate to think about it, but I'm, I'm sure there are people... Um, listening this morning who who may be in need of some help or support in this regard. Um, how do they go about making contact with Cleaners Foundation and, and what will they need to do? Is there any red tape at all that they may need to, to get involved in to potentially access some funds to help them?
6: Well, uh, there isn't because the first thing we, we, we did when we set up the charity is that we went to visit all the main hospitals and we spoke to all the sorcery workers so that they have agreed to actually make the application on behalf of the family that they meet. So, first of all, all of that can be taken completely out of the family's hands because they not, they may not be mentally capable of just concentrating on doing that. In relation to the application, it's one page. It can be downloaded from our website. It can be filled out by a, a social worker, or a family member, or a friend, as long as, as it's got an accompanying letter from the consultant saying, This is my child, this is the diagnosis. They meet every four weeks, and tonight we meet for the month of September, and we'll be writing 29 checks tonight, so they go out immediately to the family. So that's what I mean, no red tape done instantaneously out to these families. Because, again, Brian, you pointed out quite rightly, some of these families, some of the children only survive for days, weeks, months. So they need support immediately. It's too late looking after them three, four, five, six months time. I also appreciate that people like the Ring family, our family, were on this journey for, for eight years. And, and I, I can tell you, even though I was horrific, we've, we've come across absolutely much worse cases where families have ended up with kids that actually never get out of hospital and dads and mums going up and down the road to Dublin from all over the country for years on end until their children unfortunately might pass away. So. It's a tragic, tragic situation to be in, and no red tape. We don't want that. We just want to distribute the funds and get it to these families so we can help them immediately. And I'm a voluntary CEO of Cleaners, as is my wife, Terry. We we have a very small team. We're available at the end of a phone to speak with any of these families, any of your listeners, and we will help immediately to help these families in every way we can.
1: And Brendan, no is there anything that are, that we here at Casey Law or any of our listeners could do um, maybe through contacting you know our own Tds to try and help um push this forward for cleaners a little bit more?
6: Well Brian, you and your show and your station, uh, Casey have already been very good to us in relation to highlighting um the fact that we're trying to get uh, a grant set up by the government, so that's number one, so you've already started the ball rolling. From, from your listenership point of view that's what I'm doing at the moment yesterday I went to our local TDs I still have some to see today and tomorrow just to get them to rally behind us so that would be brilliant because when, when the discussion is had if somebody in the constituency says well we had 37 families in Carlow we had 36 families in Killing, in Kinkeni that were helped like so talk to their local TDs when they hear the submission to get them behind us that would be just oh so so good and you're helping everybody's helping their own their own people in their own parishes these families absolutely exist and they continue to come in and look for funding for cleaners so that's a great way of, of supporting us as well as you uh, airing and giving me air time this morning we will be doing a social media campaign and there are some national newspapers that are writing online about the about the, the work that we do but also about the I suppose the seriousness of the problem that exists, and if people could follow Cleaners Foundation and share that uh, information around what we do and around our uh, on government to provide the grant, I think that would be super supportive and really, really welcomed.
1: Well, if you're listening this morning, as uh, Brendan mentioned, remember 73 some families around Kilkenny and Carlo have been helped by the work of Cleaners Foundation. If you do bump into any of our local TDs before they return from their se- uh, summer recess, maybe worth just mentioning it to the matter. you're aware of it. Have they heard of it? Do they know of this work? So when it does cross their paths up in the doll chambers, uh, it'll be kept in their mindset. Brendan Ring, um, on behalf of everybody who's been helped by Cleaners Foundation, thank you for your ongoing work and uh, I I'm sure it's scant uh, help, but uh, I've no doubt Cleaner would be uh, very proud of the work that you, Terry, and all of the family and supporters of Cleanest Foundation have done.
6: Brian, thank you for mentioning Cleaner. I appreciate that. And thanks to your listeners and to everybody just station. And thank you personally. You're
1: thank very you. welcome. Brenda Ring, CEO of Cleanest Foundation there. And as I said, and Brendan said, um, maybe if you have got your phone at hand or your phone nearby, um, pick the phone up and go on to whatever social media app you like, whatever is your own choice and, and do a little search for them pronounce "cleanest," but spelt um, as, as it would be, C-L-I-O-N A apostrophe S cleanest Foundation, give them a little follow, give them a little thumbs up because I've no doubt um, a small little thumbs up is a, a huge huge help uh, in the support of the work that they continue to do. Um, 23 minutes to 11 o'clock, we'll be going to take a short little break. After which, we'll be talking to Helen Walsh. She's the Regional Literacy Coordinator with the KCETB.
0: KCLR Live, with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card, the perfect gift for all occasions. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo Kilkenny,
1: KCLR. You're welcome back to KCLR Live. It's Brian Redmond here. People texting me and, and WhatsApp me on our dinner's ready. Text and WhatsApp line 083-306-9696. Just asking me again uh, for the social media handles for Cleaners Foundation. I just literally picked up my own file. I checked on Instagram. I'm sure it's going to be similar across all of the various different platforms. But if you just do a search on Cleaners Foundation, C-L-I-O-N-A-S, Foundation, you'll find all the good work that they do there. Actually, I just noticed I hadn't followed them. There you go, follow them. So if you can do the same thing as well, that little bit of support, I'm sure, although only small, will make all of the difference to them as well. Now, talking about support, the KCETBs do a huge amount of uh, work to support education right across the country in their various different guises. And adult literacy for all, all, all or for life should I say Adult Literacy for Life um, as they call it is a 10 year strategy that aims to ensure that every adult has the necessary literacy numeracy and indeed digital literacy skills uh, to be able to live a fully engaged life taking part in society and and everything else and uh, joining me in studio now to talk about that uh, that report and and everything else related to adult literacy is Helen Mulch she's the regional literacy coordinator at the KCET good morning Helen Hello, Brian. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a mouthful, isn't it? Regional literacy. I'm struggling it's over it's that just one this telling. morning. <laughs> <laughs> just us why. Well, we'll <laughs> stick with just Helen for now. I mean, five hundred thousand adults. Uh, like I, you think about, it, we've got a population yeah. of, of five million. So, I mean, uh, you take yeah, out the a, children and that type of stuff. Yeah, that's, 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 just that's just for a, adults. Now, it's, a, it's a lot more than yeah. one in ten. It's probably closer to maybe one in six or yeah, I yeah, I seven. What we're saying is one in five
8: potentially have unmet literacy needs or reading and writing and then up to one in four would have unmet numeracy needs and it's a bit scary at digital it's about one in two almost one in two and that's across the board and I suppose even since Covid and so many more things have become digital and online you know even it's going to a hurling match if you now, put, book tickets online yeah, book and all that type stuff all stuff of stuff as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, as you said, we're all very aware, um, Yeah, you'd like to think people are aware of the challenges around literacy and numeracy um, uh, struggles, but the, the digital one is becoming mm-hmm. almost as big of a problem, yeah. isn't it?
8: Even to buy your train ticket, um, like you buy your ticket online, but then you have to go to the machine and key in your PIN number and whatever. And if you know you have to have that saved, it's either on an email or saved. So yeah, it's a huge problem. But I suppose like, it's not that people aren't functioning, Brian, like, people are getting on with their lives, but it could be holding them back in areas, you know, that they'd like to be moving forward in. And I suppose traditionally we we would always have said literacy was reading and writing, but it's a yeah. lot more than that. Like, we'd be looking at listening and speaking, and I suppose having the confidence to use the skills. And sometimes it might be, we're not saying that 500,000 people can't read or write. They can. Um, and there are some, I suppose, who can't, but a lot of people would struggle maybe to read a medicine label. Yeah. You know, is it two teaspoons four times a day or four twice a day? And it can be confusing. The print can be small. The language may not be in plain English. And it's just tricky. And if you haven't the confidence and you're unsure of that, like that triggers on. Or it might and it
1: does have huge knock-on effects for, for as for you said, everything. confidence, yeah. I think, more important. Yeah. and you'll avoid else.
8: doing things and mm. avoid, you know, taking chances or getting involved in clubs or groups maybe that you say, I can't do that because if somebody asked me to write or to to write down numbers or to take notes I wouldn't be able to do it
1: and what I find interesting is um, there's a gentleman I know very very well um, uh, I won't give you his name but I mean he's in his late 70s now great Mm -hmm. chap, and uh, he's pleased as punch because about four years ago he started going to college
8: brilliant (laughs) brilliant
1: (laughs) and uh, doing fabulously and he's quite open Mm -hmm. with me that he got you know literacy issues and stuff Mm -hmm. like that but he, what he's realised, and I'm sure many others are similar, is that the problem isn't him. No, the problem was his previous experiences and interactions yeah. with education. Yeah. So he's chuffed with himself.
8: Yeah, and Simon Harris, Mister Harris, was very clear on that when he launched this strategy, and he said it's not the individual's fault; it's society is to blame. Um, so that's very true. But it's if you're under pressure and you're struggling it's hard to accept that or to believe that and I suppose it's and like maybe that maybe it's 70 years yeah 70
1: yeah. years probably since he was last in education yeah. he's possibly lived those 70 years believing that it was his fault yeah
8: possibly and like some people would have you know maybe a negative have had a negative experience at school whereas if you come back to an adult learning centre or adult literacy service like it's completely different mm. um, it's it, that's the first thing any adult returning back would say it's not like school
1: <laughs> he certainly does he always talks no. about winding the teachers up and yeah. himself and he's a farmer and he says there's two or three of us in there we're all fairly cute yeah. we're well able to wind her up and uh, w- he's enjoying the process yeah
8: we'd often say um, when we do, when we work with tutors to do the tutor training for tutors to become um, tut- um, literacy tutors, that if somebody walked into the room, they shouldn't really be able to decide on who's the tutor and who's the learner. <laughs> that it's, you know, that everybody is something to bring to the table.
1: So, Helen, tell me about the experience that people who decide to engage in learning later in life uh, generally go through.
8: Yeah, I suppose even if we look back to the launch of the strategy with Minister Harris, and um, we had a learner from Kilkenny, Martina Kiley. Um, she's brilliant. you can look her up there online. She spoke just before the minister, and he even said himself she was a hard act to follow <laughs> and like Martina 's big thing for coming back was to help her grandchildren with their homework yeah um like I suppose her skills were a bit rusty, maybe she didn't get a chance at school, but like it is life changing for a lot of people that they become involved in different things and they just have confidence to do things that they previously wouldn't have been involved in.
1: And do you think confidence is the biggest barrier to somebody taking that first step and getting...
8: Confidence is huge and I suppose to realise it's great when it's word of mouth, that's probably the best way um, for somebody to come back, like when they realise that they're going in, it's a safe place, it's comfortable, it's it's a lovely environment, the tutors are trained to work with adults, it's a completely different skill set. Do you get much homework? no homework Unless you <laughs> want to do homework it's different to I think if
1: I was going back to school to education <laughs> to school, uh, I'd be like oh geez, i homework now I wouldn't yeah. be into the homework
8: like it's completely different to, to what the skill set a, a teacher would have going into work with children or teenagers um, like adult literacy is so different Mm. it's such a rewarding job anybody working in it like I would have worked in it for a good number of years and it's great when you see people coming out the other end
1: and let's talk about access to, to these various different strategies I mean you know the EC, the KCETB mm-hmm. do huge work right across you know the counties both counties, yes. both counties. Mm. Um, in terms of the commitment that somebody might need to put in to get involved in one of these courses what are you talking about?
8: Sure, it, it's completely learner-centred. So whatever somebody would want, if somebody wants to come for an hour a week to work with the tutor one-to-one, it can be something as short and as confidential and as private as that.
1: So it's be, not like enrolling in a college course. You no. know, you, people aren't going to be sitting at home going, I'd love to maybe brush up on this or improve a little bit of that or learn more about yeah. the you know, the internet and things like that, but they're thinking, Oh sure I can't go back to college. No,
8: and lots of you women know, they'd be happy to join a small group, maybe mm. complete beginners on computers. So you're looking at very small groups, maybe six or eight people, even less, depending on level. And the same for literacy. Um so if somebody did come Come forward, like they'd meet Carmel, Brian here in Kilkenny, or Tara Kelly and Carlo. So Tara, Carmel would do an assessment with them. They'd have a chat and see what would suit them. Yeah. You know, morning, afternoon, evening.
1: And that assessment, I mean, because there's a word that might scare people, but that assessment, it's not about what you're capable of doing. It's more like, well, we're going to do this. Yeah. But what's the best way in which for us to do this? Yeah. Yeah. How much do you see people change when they engage? Huge,
8: it's huge. We'll have to get some learners in here to have a chat with you. I'd love to. Yeah, they're great. Like um, even the other evening, I was driving up Rosin Street, and one of our lads from the Syrian community. And when he came, he had very little English, so he walked across the street. Like his English is great now. if <laughs> <laughs> You remember me? Well, <laughs> I want to ask what he said to you when he was walking across the street. But, but it is great.
1: It's great to see that confidence mm-hmm. improve the whole time. And in terms of people, um, yeah, actually now here we go, right? Because I was going to ask mm-hmm. if somebody wanted to find out more about the different courses available and mm-hmm. how they can get involved where can they find you online but obviously <laughs> I'm presuming I hope I haven't dropped you in it um, people can do more than just go online to find can. out about yeah, what KC suppose, ETB offer
8: I suppose if you're listening and it's a family member or a friend just go onto the ETB website and you'll find details for Carlo and Kilkenny there but it could be as simple as dropping into the Literacy Centre or Learning Centre here in Patrick Street just beside Larkin's Chipper mm. or Tara's in based on the Tuller Road in Carlo. yeah. so you can just visit and people have walked in over the years and and just presented and whoever they meet will look after them straight away
2: yeah
1: you can walk in want, just walk in and say I, I want to learn about the internet or I want to brush yeah, up my English absolutely. or I want to brush yeah. up my maths or maybe or, if um, you're me.
8: involved with with um September's Traditional Literacy Awareness Month yeah. so we have as with yourself but we've also been on to Father Dan Carl there to get stuff on the parish bu- bulletins So, like, even to have a chat with somebody like that, yourselves, the parish priest, whoever, you meet a teacher in the school and they should, you know, that they have an idea.
1: Uh, Excuse me for asking a a crass question. Is there any cost involved to people?
8: Absolutely not, no. Completely free and confidential.
1: Yeah, so free, confidential. Do it at your own pace. At
8: your own pace. You can come for an hour a week. You can come for two hours, three hours, one or two days, whatever.
1: And uh, there may be people, maybe, who've been... Um, struggling with these uh, literacy issues for many many years and and maybe they're getting close to a a time in their life when they haven't got as much pressure during the day maybe they're sort of saying do you know what I've always thought about doing that and it might be just a good way of getting out and meeting people and brushing those skills up as well
8: absolutely and that's one thing um, learners would always say when they come in especially when they join a small group and they'd never join a group unless they were happy enough to do it yeah. and, you know confident enough and the tutor would be well prepared and that's the big thing to say I never knew there were so many others
1: yeah it's great and they all
8: support each other
1: I think it is I'd love to get some of those uh, learners yeah, in yeah
8: we're actually doing a really um, exciting thing at the moment we're doing a learner champions okay so we have probably up to 20 learners across Carlo and Kilkenny. they're doing a little bit of work with with Carmel and Tara and also with Aintus so it's like just getting them ready to do little interviews or to visit groups Mm. Um, because when we do tutor training it's always one of the best things or even literacy awareness training for organisations when you bring in a learner and they tell their story and that's really really the zomping up
1: well it it sounds really really interesting it's great to see that it's uh, so well supported by the ETBs around the country and um, there's
8: there's 16 regional yeah would you need be around the country. Bro?
1: Yeah, brilliant. Well, listen, Helen Walsh, Regional Literacy Officer, I'm going to send you off to go and find out. Uh, get get a little team of uh, of those learners and get them into us we'll have a chat Perfect. to them over the next couple of weeks. Uh, always a pleasure to chat uh, literacy and education. Um, Helen Walsh, thanks for your time this thanks, morning. Ryan. It's nine minutes to twelve o'clock. Um, after this, we've got more good news because we'll be talking to Andrew Tobin, CEO of Strive. <laughs>
0: KCL or Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of this pants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo Kilkenny
1: KCLR yes you're welcome back to KCLR Live Helen just asked me she was leaving the studio there she said are you serious about having so absolutely we are serious about having some of those learners in Uh, it would be brilliant to hear their stories and how things have changed them um, as a result of engaging with the ECB ECTBs another difficult one to say and improving their own literacy it's 8 minutes to 12 o'clock and I'm joined on the phone now by Andrew Tobin Andrew is the CEO of strive, and he brings us good news this morning. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Brian. Well, morning. Carlos, cybersecurity company, um, but uh, you've just made a big purchase, haven't you?
9: We have, yeah, yeah. We just announced this morning um, the uh, acquisition of an American AWS cloud specialist, um, and they out of Washington
1: well that's fabulous because more importantly it's going to add another I believe 35 employees uh, to the company Um, big steps big continuing growth for Strive Um, must be big celebrations up in Carlo this morning Uh, no
9: (laughs) it's business as usual (laughs) Uh, uh, no uh, the deal was done back in April at the end of April Um, and I guess look we just took our time in terms of getting our you know as you do in business getting teams aligned and making sure we're all on the same page from a cultural perspective from a commercial perspective everything before we kind of went public on it so really today is just the announcing of, of the deal you know
1: yes yeah, so it's all been done under the table not underhanded of course but under the table with all <laughs> the all the usual stuff that needs to be done but listen for people that don't know i mean strive established in 2018 give us a little bit of the history of the company and what it actually does
9: Sure, sure. So, uh, in a nutshell, we're a cloud and cyber security company, so uh, uh, what we would do is we look at helping companies move all their data to the cloud, and because we build out a deep tech uh, team in terms of cybersecurity, we make sure that their data is pretty much safe and protected in the cloud. Um, in terms of evolution, over since 2018, we started from a small beginning, a small team, um, over the three years, we've opened up uh, offices in Poland, in the UK, Morocco. Um, we this acquisition now in the US gets us over state side. Uh, they have a small team in Hyderabad in India as well. We acquired a, a, another small um, cybersecurity company in South Africa earlier this year. So we're trying to build this suppose, a global, uh, you know, provider I guess of cloud services and cybersecurity services.
1: And that deal with Futurals, I mean, that's going to make significant uh, steps forward in terms of uh, Strive's place on that global um, global platform, if you like, in terms of cloud services. Um, what's the next step? What's the next move? Have you got your eyes on, a, on another acquisition um, anytime soon?
9: Yeah, we have a few more in the pipeline. We have a few more. Um, we're talking to quite a few private equity firms at the moment in terms of I uh, suppose helping us you know give us the financial resources to kind of keep moving at the pace we're moving um, but other than that look I mean from a day-to-day perspective now we, we need to realize the value from this this futuralis Alice deal um, you know we, we need to help Irish clients and European clients know with their migration uh, to the cloud in terms of AWS we need to help companies with their modernization of these older applications into AWS. And I suppose more importantly, what we're saying, given that there was such a quick shift of Irish companies to the cloud, we want to make sure that companies are not overpaying for the cloud. So we're optimizing their cloud form um, as well, you know.
1: And this deal with Futuralis, what does that bring the total number of employed by Strive to?
9: It brings us, uh, you're talking north of 100 people.
1: Mm. So a big, big organisation now. Well, a great news story. Um, you're not going to tell us who else you how might have your eyes of in terms of their future purchases, or will you wait uh, to tell us that live on air at some point in the future?
9: I will tell you live on air <laughs> on, on, on
1: standby, bro. <laughs> well listen, it's, uh, it's great to see actually a couple of really good news stories out of Carlow this morning, the the continuing development and growth of Strive and also as I said we were talking uh, to Councillor Finterfield earlier on about the, uh, the housing uh, schemes coming to Carlo as well, good news is always worth having on air Andrew Tobin, CEO of Strive, congratulations and thanks for your time this morning Thank you, Brian. You're very welcome. Um, It is just coming up on uh, 3 minutes to 12 o'clock. It's a jam-packed show this morning. Thanks to all the team who uh, put it together. Thanks to Molly Coogan putting the calls through and and the girls at reception, the guys answering the calls, um, coming in for you. Thanks to Etna Quirk, the producer on the show. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning. Um, from 10 o'clock until 12. John Keane is coming your way after the news at 12. He's got some great music ahead of time, but is always lined up for the afternoon. Enjoy the continuation of that good weather out there. A bit hazy when I was coming in this morning, but you could feel it was going to burn. And if you haven't looked out the window over the last couple of hours, the sun is now peeking through. Take care, Um, enjoy your afternoon, and I'll be back with you on air tomorrow from 10.
0: KCL or live with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card the perfect gift for all occasions see fairgreen.ie